Hey friend, welcome to the Collide podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. If you're new to this podcast, I host it every week and I love that I get to interview people who are experiencing or have experienced God running right smack dab into their lives and into their stories and colliding with them in powerful, transformative, real, authentic ways. I think hearing other people's stories of how they're experiencing God in their midst can invite us into a deeper awareness of how we too can experience God and know that He is alive and well and powerful. It infuses hope in us. It inspires us. And so today is no different. I got to sit down with Tara Bradham Danu, and she shares her personal story in this podcast of her huge dreams where she worked her whole life in the hopes of eventually ending up in the Olympics as a swimmer. And she encounters an unexpected injury that just wreaked havoc on her. She shares about the chronic she experienced and how swimming was stripped from her. And she's very honest, not only about the physical pain in this podcast, the emotional pain and mental pain, but also the spiritual pain and the bitterness and frustration and the doubt she had with God and what God did in the midst of of this story, this story that she didn't want to be written in her life. She wanted to write a different story. And I, I think this podcast will encourage you in so many ways. I think we can all resonate with having circumstances in our lives that we desperately desire to change having areas that we hope will be healed and they keep not being healed, having dreams that feel like they were stripped from us. And what do we do with that? And how do we live in the tension of that? And how do we continue to hope that somehow there's a new dream or there's a healing coming or that God is alive and well, even when it feels like he's not changing the thing we so long for him to change. So I hope that whatever you're doing today, whether you're in your car, you're running on your treadmill, you're cooking in your kitchen, whatever it is you're doing, that this episode blesses your socks off. Take a listen. Tara, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. I am really excited to get to know you and your story and the way that God has shown up, collided with your life, and is now using your life to bless and impact other people. Thanks for hanging out today. My gosh, well, thank you. I've just been so encouraged by your ministry as I've become more and more acquainted with it. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, totally. Tara, I'm hoping we can start a conversation by you taking us back to your swimming career, telling us, I'm curious, how big of a part of your life was swimming? How long had you done it? How hard did you work at it? What were your dreams and goals with swimming? Yeah, so I started swimming because lifeguards at the neighborhood pool told my mom that she had some swimmers with my brother and me swimming. So neither of my parents swam or anything. We kind of fell into it. And then by the time I was eight years old, we were doing double practices a day, nine practices a week. By the time I started dealing with my injuries, it was probably between 20 and 30 hours of training a week. So it was a huge part of my life. 
by the time I was 10, we had their national rankings in age group swimming. So for my age group, I was the fastest swimmer in the country, my age in a few of the events for swimming. And then that lasted until I was 12. So there's the 11 to 12 age group. So my coach and many people, because of that, thought I was on track to go to the Olympics. I mean, you could never know what would happen later. But mm-hmm. when you have those rankings growing up, that was definitely my goal. And it really consumed my life. I was a Christian growing up, but definitely at that point in the beginning, idolized it. But it's, it's really hard when you're devoting that much time to anything not to, but God had to break me of that later. So that it was a, a huge part of my life. So tell us about, you know, how long did you swim? You say when you were, you know, 11, 12, you had those kinds of rankings. Did you swim through high school, swim through college? How long did you take swimming and when did things change for you? So I swam all the way through grad school, actually, because there's a whole thing with the NCAA where I actually had so many surgeries and I graduated early that I still had eligibility left in grad school. So I was still swimming in grad school. I had one year left. I could have swum and gotten a PhD, but I chose not to. (laughs) So as long as you're enrolled out of university, you can swim for the college team. So I swam that far and it changed for me. When I was 12 years old, almost 13, the state championship, I grew up in Texas. So it was the Texas state championship. And I had won six of the seven events. I wanted the full sweep in the last race. It's the shortest race in swimming. It's a 50, it was a 50 yard freestyle. And I really hated losing. So I threw myself into the wall at the very end and heard the crowd go nuts. And I knew I must have lost and looked up and I had tied to the hundredth for first place. But I had horrendous sharp pain go through my shoulder. I could barely get out of the pool. It didn't get any better. And I woke up the next morning and I could barely lift my arm to my neck with just searing pain. And so that started us on a journey of, it was just a perfect storm of doctors telling me it was in my head, me saying, fine, I'll prove you wrong. And even just like how the medicine developed at kind of parallel with my journey we just didn't figure it out for a long time. And so that that progressed until, I mean, eventually I had no quality of life at 19, but there are other surgeries and things in there. I had a cortisone shot that nicked an artery in my lung and caused a hole in my lung. And that was a, kind of oh a near death thing. So I'll let you dive into like whatever specific in there you want, but that's that's where it really changed for me. Almost 13 years old. So you are a teenager and Mm -hmm. you are in a sense moving towards your dream of Olympics. You're, you're successful. You're working hard. You're winning races. I don't know a lot about swimming. Are they called races? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're winning races and you have this unexpected injury that happens And yet you told us right before that, that you did swim in college and even through getting your, your, um, master's degree. So what happened between that initial injury and then that you were able to continue swimming in college and where did you swim in college? So originally I swam at the university of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And then in the middle of that, I transferred or I graduated from the University of Arkansas, but transferred swimming wise to Texas A&M and did grad school at A&M and also swam for Texas A&M. So I swam there. And yeah, between that, there's there is an awful lot enough to have a book on it. But 
just briefly, I mean, originally, I think God used it to break me to the point where I was willing to give swimming up and I actually quit. And he told me to go back and said, I'm going to use this for my glory. I'm going to give you a platform through this that I wouldn't, that you wouldn't have had without it. And so I went back with this different perspective of, hey, you know, I might not ever go to the Olympics, but I'm here because God told me to. And if this is for my teammates or whatever it is, like it's for God's glory. And I don't think our motivations are ever completely pure. And so that, that was definitely a battle, but it was that huge perspective shift after that. So originally it was five years until they found the original tear. So when I was 12 at that race, I had torn my shoulder off the bone and they did not find it for that long because I was swimming through the pain. Now my progress really stopped as well in the sense of I didn't get a personal best time for two years because I was dealing with all this pain. You know, I had the hole in my lung that almost turned into a lung collapse and I had to take off for that. Uh, just fighting through and said, you know what, I guess we're not going to figure out my shoulder pain. And this is the thorn in my side that God has given to humble me, but I know he still called me to swim. So that's what I'm doing. And, and my parents in this time, I mean, we went to every doctor you can imagine, you know, I was wearing the tape on my shoulders before that was like the cool thing back in the day when no yeah. one knew what it was and all of that stuff. And so my senior year of high school, they went in for the first time. They didn't expect to find anything because they said, but you couldn't be swimming with something this serious if it was really that painful. And they found my labrum torn off the bone. So they attached that. I said, oh my gosh, this is a miracle. I had childlike faith before the surgery. You know, the first thing I said to the nurse waking up from the anesthesia was how big was it? Like, I didn't even ask what they found. Like I knew there was something. And so I was like, okay, God humbled me. And now we're going to get back on track and it's going to be this awesome story. And so I went to college, did my rehab, came back within a year, barely missed qualifying for Olympic trials, which is the meet that you go to, to qualify for the Olympics. Hmm. And then I was on the operating table again, couldn't lift my arm again. I thought maybe I came back and pushed too hard. I had pain from my shoulder to my hand. Just, it would just jump through my arm. I mean, I would jump out of my chair in class because it would just, it was so, so sharp. And so I thought I must've ripped the anchors out or something. And so they went back in and they found all these symptoms and then they were like, well, there's nothing there. The repair of your labrum looks perfect. I mean, how yeah. do you argue with that? It wasn't a false MRI, which had happened the first time. Like they went inside my shoulder. And so that time it was only a few weeks recovery and I was back in. I felt like God was like, okay, like this is where I'm calling you. And so then I was reading The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson and he has something in there where he says, pray a prayer of like, God complicate my life. And not in the sense of just like, give me random complications to make my life messy. But like, I want a holy complication. I want a complication of something like of the magnitude of the people of faith in the Bible. Like I want a like Hebrews 11 complication. And that is a very dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> yes, because it things is. <laughs> got really bad after that. And I didn't know that that was leading me to something that really led to my healing. But I mean, I got to the point where I couldn't swim anymore. And no. at this point too, you have to realize that I was going off of what I believed was God's promise to me. So I read through the Bible in a year. 
uh, my freshman year of college. And when I was in the book of Jeremiah, which is actually my favorite book of the Bible, even though he's like the weeping morning prophet. Uh, but Jeremiah 33, there's this part in the middle of like all this redemption. And he says, it's about Jerusalem, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is for your life. And he says, I will bring health and healing to you. I will restore you as you were before, and you'll enjoy abundant peace and security. I will forgive all your sins against me, and then you will bring me renown, glory, praise, and honor before all the nations on earth that hear of what I do for you, and they will tremble and fear and be in awe of the abundant peace and prosperity I provide for you. So... I took that and ran with it, right? I'm, I am the eight on the Enneagram who's like all in or all out, right? And I'm like, okay, well, like every nation, like that means clearly that you're going to bring me back from these surgeries and we're going to go back to the track that I was on before and we're going to go the Olympics. I felt like God was stirring in me the passion to write. And I felt like he was like, you're going to write a book about this one day. And I'm like, well, clearly this is what the book would be, right? If I were to write it, that's the story I would write. Hmm. And... That is not how God would write a story and got to the point where I, I had to quit the sport. I couldn't do it anymore. My doctors were like, until you can put on a backpack without pain, you can't swim. And I never could. And just walked circles around a mountain called Mount Sequoia in Arkansas. And there's a big cross up there where you can see the city and just prayed. Um, but I went from, you know, 20, 30 hours a week of training to nothing straight cold turkey and got to the point where I was definitely fighting depression um, and suicidal thoughts in the sense of I was 19 years old. Every doctor you can imagine said there's nothing we can do. They had been inside my shoulder twice. I mean, it's like, I'm either crazy or like, I mean, you can't fix this pain. Like, you know, and, and the God who I believed said that he was going to heal me in this lifetime is not healing me. It's like, what do I do with that? And I mean, I really question my faith because it seems ridiculous to put it all on a promise you think you heard from God when you could have heard it incorrectly. But I'm like, God, if I don't hear you right about this, like, is do I not hear you at all? Are you even real? What have I been doing all these years? And so after that, they went in. Finally, my parents didn't give up, took me to a surgeon in Colorado who went in for a third time as a last ditch effort. And he cut my biceps tendon off and flipped it over. And it was degenerating underneath, um, basically rotting. And so eventually there would have been a hole in my bicep. It would have detached. And we don't really know what would have happened, but there's signs my immune system was shutting down and all kinds of other things. So really, you look at that and people are like, why would you have kept swimming? Because God told you to, you know, you're never going to pick up your kids. You're never going to be able to throw a ball like you already have no quality of life. But I look back at that and say, if I didn't keep swimming when it seemed crazy, they probably wouldn't have gotten in a third time and they probably wouldn't have found what was wrong. And who knows what would have happened after that. And so after that, I came back, swam for Texas A&M, uh, ended up not having the career I thought I was in almost no pain outside the pool, very little compared to what I was used to, but almost worse inside it. And, you know, I, they rebuilt three fourths of the, my shoulder capsule and I'm missing about an inch of my bicep that's attached lower. So to come back and swim is about the hardest thing you could do on that operation. And so I absolutely lived a miracle. I mean, my teammates were Olympians I was training with every day. And then I ended my career missing Olympic trials again by a few tenths of a second. And so I was like, this is a total failure, God. Like, why would you have me go through all of this for mm -hmm. that? Like, that's not the promise I thought. 
So that's kind of the story to the end of my career. And then there's, there's a lot in that. So I'll let you take it where you want. Yeah, I have a jillion questions I'm writing down. And on a really personal level, I'm resonating with your story so much um, because my daughter's done gymnastics her entire life. And no, she wasn't slated to go to the Olympics, but she has done 20 to 25 mm-hmm. hours a week of training for a junior Olympic program. And just yeah. this year, she had two injuries. She stripped of gymnastics. And I'm watching her as a 16-year-old. And I'm thinking about you because I'm watching her where, you know, it's not that we hadn't talked about it, but it's almost like you're stripped of your identity. You're stripped of your passion. You're stripped of being fit. You're stripped of your community at the gym. It's a complete stripping that you Mm -hmm. experience and you on like such a like greater level were almost like, and finally you realized it when you ultimately had to quit, you were stripped of your dream. Yeah. What was going on in you? I hear you that you had childlike faith. I hear you that you were claiming Jeremiah. I hear your faith. I, I love it. I want to talk more about it as it applies to our lives. But invite us into the darker spaces so we can resonate with you on when you were being stripped, you know, what was that doing for you, your identity, your emotions, your, your mental state, you know, were you, you said that you had some suicidal thoughts. I mean, what did that really look like? Cause your whole life you worked for this thing and you were good at it and, and it was being taken from you. What were some of those darker things going on in you? Yeah. And I would say the darkest part was actually tied to God because I thought that I had stepped out in faith on what God had told me to do. You know, I'm like, if this was the story we were going to go down, like I could have quit back when I was 13 when I realized this was an idol. So I, and this is not true of God, but I felt like I had been manipulated by God. Like, so what you like put me on the chopping block as a martyr to like, be a Christian for my teammates, but like I end up with no quality of life and you're not healing me, even though I stepped out for you. And it's kind of treating God as a vending machine mentality of like, well, I did this, you should heal me. Mm -hmm. And I think there's levels of naivety that we have to go through in our Christian faith. And so, yeah, at this one, on the one side, I had incredible faith, But also it's like when that's disappointed, what do you do with that? And I think that's the point where you either walk away from God and say, this is all bogus and I don't believe in you anymore and you're not good because you're you're not good to me and therefore you're not good. (laughs) Or you press in deeper and say, you know what? I got, I want to know you for who you are, not who I thought you were. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the crux of whether we walk away from God or if we lean into him and say, God, I don't know what's going on but I still like, I don't have anything besides you. And so in that place, you know, I would go up on the hill and cry and beg God to to do something. And, but he spoke to me, like he never left. And like, there are things he was saying in that where, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit whispered to me in that moment. He just said, answers are coming. Hang on. Answers are coming. And I don't, I mean, I don't think I would have survived without the personal side of the relationship with God. You know, you can stand on the word of God and claim his promises and there is, we need to do that. But at the same time, it was the relationship that, that kept me fighting. And so, yeah, I mean, I did feel like I had lost everything and there, and, and there is a level to a physical pain 
I mean, emotional pain, all pain is valid. Physical pain, you can't even begin to ignore. And, and you have to realize I was 13 when this happened. Think about how many memories you have from when you were 13 and younger. Not that many. Like, mm-hmm. I basically don't know what life is before horrendous pain. And so that just wears on you. It wears on you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually in, in ways that are very hard to describe. And, and the idea of being that young and in that much pain for the rest of your life is absolutely overwhelming. Hmm. I love that you're being honest about the spiritual pain you experienced, because I think a lot of us do that. I think, you know, we have moments where we think, man, like all the ways that I've tried to be faithful to you, or I've tried to serve you, or I've tried to honor you, or I've tried to keep clinging on to you, or I've tried to bring you glory or further your kingdom or whatever. And now this, and I think that's really real. I think so many people can resonate with that. I mean, this is like a really silly example and it's not chronic pain, but it's the same idea of like how many years did I invest in high school and college age students in ministry? Like kids that I didn't know. I didn't know their parents. I hung out with them. I took them places. I prayed over them. I got them help. I baptized them. All of these things. When my kids were in high school, they didn't have youth ministers investing in them. I remember feeling bitter at God and saying, yeah. all, all the time that I invested in these kids, why don't my kids have what yeah. what I've been doing for you in your name? And I think being really real about that invites other women to be able to be real about that. Because you have to start there to kind of like unpack some of the bitterness and the spiritual pain that you're going through. Yeah. So yeah. here you are, you're going through physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain. And you talk about trusting God for who he is rather than who you wanted him to be. You know, I think another way you could even say it is you had to move from instead of trusting him to write the story that you wanted him to write, you had to trust him to write the best story, even when it doesn't seem best to you. Yeah, you're able now. I mean, you have a book and you your story is helping people and impacting people. You're able to see now hindsight is 2020 a bit that God is using this beautiful story to impact other people. But you went through a lot to get there. How were you able to move from a place of, okay, God is writing a different story and he's using it, and I'm going to make myself available for that. I think the simple answer is listening and obeying. And I think what you were talking about in these instances, I think it just reveals to us how entitled we actually are. And I read a quote recently that I might butcher, but it it was like, you know, rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, and rain is no judgment of God's blessing. Like that's, that's no standard to evaluate God's blessing on whether or not you have rain in your life, you know? And I feel like looking back, you're absolutely right. Because what, what ended up happening is God called me to create a ministry for people who live in pain. I no more saw that coming than anything. Maybe I should have, but I didn't. And so I went on the world race, which is not the amazing race. It's an 11 month long mission trip. And so I lived in South America. This was my first year after my career ended. And I still, I mean, my career ended and I was like, 
God, what do I do with this? Like, I feel like you told me to write a book. Like, who who wants to read this story? Like, you you want to go through an absolute roller coaster and then end with me not even qualifying for the meet where you qualify for the Olympics? Like, that's not anything close to the Hollywood story. And it was just like, no, I told you to write it. And then it's like, well, I guess I have to walk in obedience and and do what he said. And so I would love to tell you like, oh yeah, that first month after my career ended, it just, it all made sense. And I accepted it and I moved on. Like this was years and years and years of just surrendering and obeying and seeing God turn it into what he wants to where now, let's say I finished in 2016. So six years later, I can honestly say I wouldn't change my story, but I, that took me a while to say Mm -hmm. that. You know, I'm like, well, no, I think I would have really liked to have been fully healed and go to the Olympics. Like, that seems like a a nice story. But to say, no, God, like, I believe you are turning me into a different person. I believe you are bringing me different people into my life. You are setting me up for what you believe is a hole in your kingdom that you wanted me to, to help address. You are giving me the perseverance to be able to fight for people later. There's just so much we can't see going on. And so I think it looks like baby acts every day of surrendering and obeying. And and something my friend says that I love, she's like, when you don't know where to go next, she's like, go back to the last thing that God said to you and spend time Mm -hmm. with him Hmm. and just keep moving forward that way. What's the last thing he said to you? Spend time with him. And then maybe I would add obey. Because I think we have too much of a knowledge-based discipleship now in in the West instead of an obedience-based discipleship. If you love Collide or have been impacted by our work, then we'd love to partner with you. We rely on the generous support of donors to fuel the life-changing work we do to create spaces for women to collide with Jesus in the midst of their brokenness. You can join the movement by becoming a monthly donor or making a one-time donation. Learn more at wecollide.net forward slash give. It's interesting to think about the last six years of your life, because I think when you get to a moment where you've been stripped of all of these things, your capabilities, your dreams, your hopes, your community, your identity, there's a pivotal moment in time where you could completely give up on God. You could give up on yourself. I mean, you, you could have gone wackadoodle. I mean, you could, you could not be here. You could, um, there's so many kind of dark directions you could have gone. And I'm curious on the hard days in the last six years, you know, you just gave us advice, great advice. Go back to the last thing God said to you. That's such good advice. What are the moments that you experienced? What do you think you did to continue to hold on to hope that God was writing a good story? I think I was honest with God. And I just relate to the disciples when Jesus gave a hard teaching. I think it was the eat my flesh and drink my blood. And no one knew what that was. And it's where all these, the people who are following Jesus, a lot of them walked away. And he said, do you two want to leave? And I don't know if it was Peter or someone, but one of the disciples said, Lord, to whom else would we go? And like in those moments, I think that's how I feel. It's like, but the world's not going to fix anything. Like I, like regardless of if you're not the God I thought you were, I know you're good. 
I know you're faithful and there's, there's no one else to turn to, but in that dark moment, the, the dark moments I've had, I mean, Willow, like I have thrown my Bible across the room and screamed at God about how horrible of a father he was. And so I think sometimes where we get trapped is we have these emotions, but we feel like we can't bring them to God. I'm like, I'm not suggesting that. I mean, I kind of wondered if God was going to smite me at the time, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But it was just this, like, he knows, he knows you feel that way. And until you admit that and you're honest with him, like he can handle the emotions that he created. And yes, there's a, a value of repentance, you know, in our hearts, but being honest with him, I think is the starting place to keeping on hoping because mm-hmm. if you're never honest with him, you're just going to live in denial and numbness and try to move forward. And that, that doesn't get you anywhere. I tried that. That doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> well, and it seems like if you're not honest, then you become this religious robot. Who's just like carrying out this image that you think you need to have, but it's not real. It's not a real relationship and God desires real relationship. It just strikes me though, that you're stripped of everything. And yet here you are six years later, you were honest, you're holding on to hope. God's using you now to impact other people. For people listening, they don't necessarily have a scope of your ministry and what you do, but you have written a book, you have a podcast. Can you invite us into how God's using you to help people? Sure. Yeah. So that's the fun, crazy part that I never really saw coming. I thought that God was going to have me speak to athletes, you know, through FCA or something like that, which mm-hmm. I would totally still do. It's not that like that is not a good thing, but basically there are very, very few ministries trying to address chronic pain or physical pain from a faith perspective. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It has to do with our different beliefs across denominations about healing and how we fight over those things. Uh, But I feel like God was saying there is a group of people here who are are basically dying without knowledge of me because no one's going to them because we think they have a sin issue and they're not healed or because we think that they're not part of the kingdom of God because they can't go on mission trips and do children's ministry with us, whatever it is. And if we're honest about those attitudes, you know, and he's like, I want you to go after this group of people. And so it's funny when you say it like that, it sounds like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. But first off, ministry is really hard. I mean, you don't see the the side of my book got published. It released on Blackout Tuesday in 2020. I didn't sell enough copies because of everything getting canceled with COVID, all of these things where, you know, even that it's like, okay, God, you told me to write a book. You got like, you basically miraculously provided this, an agent and a publisher. And then like, to what have it be birthed in 2020 and like not go anywhere, you know, they're like, so even within those, I just think there are micro battles all the time that I want people to be like, just see the real side that it's not just like, Oh, wow, you're just doing all these things. Like I still argue with God. Like I'm asking him to search me this morning about something I don't understand about a root of why I feel a certain way. So, but we did create a ministry. We have a podcast that is so fun where we address all the different types of healing because there are a lot of them in the ways that God heals us. There's a community that you can join and advocates where you can create content. And just the people I have met are 
so, so incredible. It's wonderful. And so there's that, that ministry is called Heal. And then on top of that, then I just am an author and a speaker. And so I am working on another book that I'm, I can't really say what it's about yet, but I am so pumped about it. It's kind of more universally for women and one of the biggest lies that we face with our identities. And I absolutely love when I'm given the opportunity to preach. That's one of my passions. And so I did not see any of this coming at all. And I try to hold to that in the things I don't understand now of of not leaning on my own understanding. I, I talk about my scar in the book and my scar is a couple inches long on my shoulder and seven in the Bible is completion and perfection. And when you count the number of scars from my three surgeries, there are seven scars total and there are seven stitches in the big one. And so one of my friends coined it, but I call it my covenant scar of like, this is my, your promise to me. Like when I look back and I doubt your faithfulness, like I just have to look down at my shoulder and say like, I don't understand, but I, I know you're working this together for my good. I know you're faithful and we're going to keep moving forward. So like, what are those Ebenezer's in your life? What are those moments that you have? And if you don't have one, like, I can't think of any time where God has come through and I have that. Like, you have the cross, right? That's that's like the, the Ebenezer that we all start from is Jesus died for us so that we can have eternity with him. And so taking it back to that point and moving on when we face these things, I think, is the way to go because there's an awful lot of uncertainty in everyone's lives. Hmm. You know, I I want to ask you a few questions before we come to a close about some some areas of healing and also chronic pain. You started a ministry to help people who have chronic pain. Obviously you have compassion and care for them because you know what it's like to be them. What mentalities do you see take hold in people that make chronic pain almost more painful? I think that's a great question. Some of them are one victimhood mentality. I think that can go into a cycle that takes you downhill really fast in that spiral where no matter what kind of pain you're in, you're not a victim. And and that's one of my biggest hearts in our ministry is God still has a plan for you. If you are a quadriplegic, God has a plan for you. Like, let's look at Johnny Erickson Tata, right? And it may be different. And that's where the whole comparison thing comes in. And that, mm-hmm. I guess what might even be a whole other mindset that, that gets us stuck is comparing to other people what God's doing in their lives, what what their bodies look like, what is their capacity. So victimhood is one. And then another one would be comparison. I think another one would be fear. I think fear makes pain worse in every way. Emotional fear, like it literally can make your pain worse. Mm-hmm. And then I would say pushing too hard, like not having enough grace for yourself. Because when we're not walking in the grace that God has provided for us, like we can't make it. And that's the thing is like, some people are like, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And that might be chronic pain. That might be someone listening who's just crippled with depression. And you're like, I just can't get out of bed in the morning. Like what I have found is in those moments, like, I mean, you can't on your own. Like that has to be, God, will you give me grace right now for this moment to get out of bed? Like, is there grace for the pace 
from God that you're going through? You know, can you listen to the Bible while you sit in bed with a migraine? Can you do different things to to stay connected to him no matter how bad the pain is? And there there's so much within each of those. But basically, I, I think the victory we have in Christ, that he has defeated death, hell, and the grave, that is that same power is in us. Like we can live from that victory. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to live in victimhood. He doesn't want to live us in over us to live in overworking either and not having grace for our capacity and the fact that we are human and we can only do so much. So Mm -hmm. those are some of them. Yeah. I can hear that you, you could share a lot and we could gain from your wisdom. I love it. I want to ask you what I think is a tough question. Certainly God can heal us when you see this all the time in the, in the Bible, in the new Testament, when you see Jesus colliding with people, you see Jesus healing the lepers, you see Jesus healing the man whose hand is shriveled. You see Jesus healing the blind. We talk about the power of Jesus and his ability to heal all the time here at Collide. And certainly he doesn't always choose to heal us in all the areas that we long for him to. How do you invite people to live in the tension of both those things being true? First off, I would point people to a book I'm currently reading, which is called God on Mute by Pete Gregg. And it's about the silence of unanswered prayer. And I just read a chapter where he's giving, I think, over 10 reasons of why our prayers go unanswered. And it's fascinating. So good. But living in that tension, I think you have to start from the knowledge and how we phrase it at heal is that God heals people in the way that brings him the most glory and in the way that brings us closest to him. And so to start from that place of saying, we believe that God heals people miraculously, but like you said, not always, I still believe he heals miraculously today, but definitely not always. He heals people medicinally through doctors and science and and the knowledge and skills and gifts he's given us to steward. He heals people And what we would call sufficient grace, where we are not healed right now, but you're given the healing power of his presence in your pain. And when I talk about pain, I hope people use that word for whatever pain in your life, whether that's physical or not. And then we have ultimate healing in heaven, which is what Jesus died for us to be able to be with him. in. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but Paul talks about our glorified bodies that we will be raised again, full and whole and complete And so I think living in the tension of that, coming from that place of saying, I'm going to ask for my healing. I'm going to fight for my healing. I'm going to keep coming back and saying, God, I believe that your will for my life is not suffering. I believe that you do want healing, but then can you at the same time say the same thing that our savior said and say, but your will be done, not my will. And if you live in that tension, that's the hardest place to be because you're not giving up. It's like you're opening yourself up for disappointment each time because you're allowing yourself to hope. But you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to hope. I'm going to keep asking, Mm -hmm. but I'm also going to surrender and say that even what I think is best, I know you know better. Maybe it's your timing. Maybe it's something that you want to show me and gift me with in your presence right now. And so I, I think that's the tension we have to walk in these areas. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm listening to you just thinking, you know, I mean, Jesus praying and asking the cup to be passed from him. Uh, he didn't get what he wanted. You know, he, yeah. he, he had to drink of the cup. He had to go to the cross. And um, 
not my will, but yours be done is one of the hardest sort of aligning in your faith prayers you could ever pray Yep, in your life. You do this work, Tara, where you come alongside people whose circumstances might never change. They might have chronic pain their whole life. They might be in a wheelchair their whole life. They might be physically miserable their whole life. So if their circumstance isn't going to change, how do they change their perspective? Well, I think you change your perspective at the foot of the cross. Like that that's the only way to change your perspective. But I think there's something in that though that you're not just a martyr. That like there is no pain that is wasted when it's given to God. Like there is nothing that's happening on this side of eternity that God is not going to keep, you know? Like Revelation says there's a bowl of like prayers of the saints that at the end of times like he pours out that bowl of prayer as incense like to the Lord like in every single prayer you prayed whether it's been answered in the way you thought or not is being kept by him. And so I think the advice in that to keep to change your perspective is that you have to believe in your heart of hearts that that God's ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts mm-hmm. and acknowledge it might be really really painful mm. but i think it's it's like not the happy answer but it's like but look at the pain of God's son like when you look at at that and then you see the redemption of that it's it's pain and joy it's sorrow and victory it's it's all of those things i think we get into issues when we think that our faith is just joy and happiness like he holds them both at the same time you said our sufferings never wasted sometimes that's hard to believe or we don't like that or we don't we don't want that while we're suffering but I think it's true that God can use all of our story to do amazing things in the world, to bless people, to impact other people in their suffering. I mean, you see in Romans, like suffering produces, you know, character, which produces perseverance, which produces hope and hope does not disappoint us, whatever that passage is mm-hmm. where suffering creates in us these like beautiful characteristics and deep faith. But I also agree with you that we resonate with the suffering of Christ when we hurt and we understand him more and we feel deeply met by him because he resonates with our suffering. I mean, I was sitting across from someone this last weekend. We were out to dinner with a couple and this woman feels deeply betrayed by someone she's been close to for decades, Mm -hmm. just so betrayed. And she, she can't even imagine like how to make it better. And when I was talking to her, we're in the middle of a restaurant. I said, I don't know if you, you've thought about this, but Judas betrayed Jesus for a few coins. He knows your pain. He knows the betrayal. In fact, when Judas betrayed Jesus for a few coins, that was what turned Jesus in and led him to the cross. So when you're feeling this pain, you, you, I hope you know that Jesus understands how hard this is and how much this hurts. And in the middle of this, very nice restaurant. She just starts crying. 
And I think there is something there that you're talking about of us resonating with the sufferings of Christ and Christ resonating with our sufferings Mm -hmm. that is deeply spiritual and deeply beautiful. And I think it is hard to put into words in a matter of a minute or two, but I, I love that these are the kinds of things you talk about on your podcast and in your book, and we can invite people there. You dreamt your whole life of being on the Olympic podium. Mm -hmm. And now you stand on different types of podiums or behind them. And God has written a completely unexpected story with your life. And yet you are doing amazing things. Does that ever, do you ever have moments where you can take that in? And do you feel kind of blown away by that? Yeah, I think what's really mind blowing to me is it's so interesting. I'm so grateful that I wrote my book when I did because God told me to write it. But I think even now I wouldn't remember the details well enough, but God has grown me so much. I mean, it's kind of sad, but like I don't keep up with swimming that much. I don't look at it like, sure, I watch the Olympics, but there isn't like, oh man, I just wish I was there. You know, like I, on a day to day basis, I'm swimming right now because I'm pregnant to like stay in shape. You know, so I still love it, but there's just, there's nothing. God has grown me so much. He has so changed the desires of my heart to be more after what he wants that that's like almost not even a part of me. I say that to say, like, I am so grateful to the sport of swimming because God used it to mold and shape my life. That is not what I'm saying. Like, oh, this has no part of me. But I think that blows me away to say, you know, I thought this would be sports are everything for my whole life and that God can so change me to where I basically don't recognize myself. Mm. I mean, the, the power of our savior to do that is just incredible. I love how much he's rewritten your dreams and how much you've taken hold of those new dreams and you're running with it. I know people are going to want to connect with you and the work that you're doing. How can they do that, Tara? Yeah. So my website is Tara Bradham. It's my maiden name. So T-E-R-A. My mom did not want people to call me Tara. So it's (laughs) T-E-R-A. And then it looks like bradham.com. And then our ministry website is theheal, H-E-A-L ministry.com. So you can find the podcast that's on everywhere that you're listening to this podcast. The Heal podcast is there as well. And my Instagram is at Tara Bradham. If you want to connect with me there, but you can connect through any of the websites or anything. I would love to hear from you and what God is doing in your life. That's awesome. Tara, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so grateful. Man, what a rich conversation with Tara. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I loved how honest she was about the spiritual pain she was experiencing when she was experiencing chronic pain. I love that she asked the question, hey, the God I believe in isn't healing me. What do I do with that? Because I think you and I live in attention all the time of, hey, the God I believe in isn't fill in the blank. What do I do with that? That's such a, a real and honest 
question. And I love so much of her advice where she calls us to go back to the last thing that God said and hold on to it. I love that she calls us to be honest with God in in this episode and, and, and invited us into some deeper spiritual uh, things to hold on to. Some, some trust in God's sufficient grace, praying things like, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Those are hard prayers to pray. But isn't it so super cool that though her dream was stripped, God rewrote a new dream in her life and we get to see it played out? You know, I know that she's six years down the road, But if you're in that place where you feel like your dreams have been stripped from you or your circumstances are really hard and you're experiencing emotional, mental, and spiritual pain, it's so good to hear that God can take someone in that same place and draw them out of the miry pit and He can collide with them in such a caring, gracious, powerful way that years down the road, they have new dreams for themselves, new hopes, and and so much so that God can use your story to impact other people in theirs. If you're not feeling that today, if you're not seeing that today, I hope that you can hold out hope and faith to believe that it can be true for you as well. My hope today is that this podcast gave you some of that hope and faith and inspired you. I would also recommend if you need just a reminder that God is personal and he's powerful and he knows you and he knows what's going on in your life and he has the power to do something to intervene in your life. If you need that reminder, if you need something to call you to the love of God, my hope for you is that you would grab on to our personal and powerful Bible study. You can get it at our website at wethalide.net. Check it out. And if you love this podcast or you have a friend that you think would be deeply encouraged by listening to it, I just encourage you to simply just click on the link and share it with a friend, text it over, and you might bless someone who needs to hear this message today. I hope that you'll keep colliding, friend, and that you will know that you are deeply loved and cared for, and that God is truly writing a beautiful story with your life. We'll catch you next week.